Deuteronomy 18. The first eight verses of Deuteronomy 18, we read of the Levites, we read of the priest, we read of their service to God, we read even how they are supported by the other tribes of Israel. And then we get to verses 9 through 14, and we hear God proclaiming through Moses people and behavior that are an abomination to him. Now, abomination is a strong, strong word. It's a word meaning repulsive. It's a word that means detestable. And God says certain things to him are an abomination. When Joseph and his brothers came down from the land of Cana into Egypt to buy grain for bread... Uh, because the famine was severe in the land, Joseph, looking like an Egyptian, in disguise, he had a meal with his brothers. But he had it separate from them because Egyptians considered eating with anybody that wasn't an, an Egyptian, they considered that to be a loathsome type thing, a detestable thing, an abomination. And later in the history of Israel, we read how the Jews would not have a meal with a Gentile. They would not sit down and eat with a Gentile. For a Jew to eat and share a meal with uh, another person, their feeling was, you're becoming one with that person. You're breaking off of the same loaf, you're dipping it into the same pot of whatever, and you're eating and you're becoming one flesh with that person in that common pot and a good Jew would never have a meal with a Gentile uh, because they considered that an abomination and, and Paul he spends a, a lot of time in the New Testament just talking about diet but we see God looking upon the heathen practices of the religions that were going on in Canaan, the nations that Israel is to drive out as they come in and occupy Canaan. And God doesn't want any association between himself and the evil practices that are going on in Canaan. Because to God, the evil practices were an abomination. So let's read verses 9 through 14 in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. 
For these nations which you will dispossess listened to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed you such to do. These heathen nations, they had a common little god, the god of Molech. Now, Molech had several names, but basically, Molech was worshipped by the Ammonites and these other tribes that are up there in Cana. And they have done archaeological digs in that area, and they've uncovered mass graveyards of skeletons of babies that were live sacrifices to Molech. The Ammonites would heat up uh, Molech, and Molech was a little god about three feet tall. They made idols of him. He was usually made out of cast iron or ceramic, and he had his little arms outstretched. And they would heat up Molech till he was red hot, and then they would place their little babies in his arms, a living sacrifice to Molech. This satanic practice of worshiping Molech was done by the people that Israel is to dispossess or drive out of the land of Canaan. In Leviticus 18.21, we read, You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Molech. Pretty straightforward. A great command, by the way. King Solomon, however, was guilty of building an altar to Molech at Topheth in the Valley of Hinnom. King Manasseh and Jehoiakim were also guilty of following this heathen practice of Molech. And we think, how barbaric, how bad can you get? A society that would offer infants as a living sacrifice to a heathen God. Or perhaps a society that would sell baby body parts of aborted babies to the highest bidder. Satan has always been a murderer and will always be a murderer and he has been throughout the centuries of time and he remains one today he hasn't changed his attitude he still desires live baby sacrifices today only we call it by different names today we've cleaned up what we call it We call it things like a woman's choice or Planned Parenthood. And our government finances these activities that are abomination to God. God have mercy on America. And I say that with all sincerity. But Moses goes on, and now he's going to list the people that are an abomination to God. And he has his list. Anyone who practices witchcraft or is a soothsayer. Anyone 
who interprets omens or is a sorcerer. Anyone who conjures up spells or is a medium or a spiritualist or summons up the dead. All of those listed are an abomination to God. Perhaps you've heard of a a man named Adolf Hitler. Hitler was deep into the occult. Black magic and witchcraft persuaded him that he could kill millions and get away with it. He killed millions of Jews, roughly five million Jews, but he killed a lot of Christians too. And we don't read about him killing the Christians, but he did. But recently, maybe you've been following us, Cecil the lion was shot by a hunter in Africa. He was a beloved lion, if you can have a beloved lion. And there was a lot of protesting that went on, even uh, here in America, about this lion being shot. But did you hear about this past week? There was a park ranger in Africa mauled to death by a lion. And nobody knows his name. We glorify a lion and we don't even know the man that was killed by a lion. But I'm not going to delve into the occult or the witchcraft. I'm not going to glorify their practices by teaching about them. But know this, they are an abomination to God. As I look around, as I see what you see, I'm alarmed at the fascination that is in America, the general public, with witchcraft. It alarms me. As I see things, that's my big qualifier. You can disregard anything I have to say now because I'm giving you my opinion. No. (laughs) There is a denial of satanic and demonic activity in our world. We will put medical terms upon demonic behavior or demonic oppression, even demon possession. And it's as if we're afraid to call an ace an ace. We're afraid to admit these activities exist. Now, I fully understand that there can be attacks upon the human mind, attacks upon our thinking process. I know that. Depression is real. So is mental illness. They're real. So when Moses lists witchcraft and these dark side uh, participants, you might say, they also are real. In third world nations... Witchcraft and demonic activity, they're not hidden. They're not behind uh, closed doors like they are here in America. In Cuba, for instance, they have TV programs that will show you how to cast a spell upon somebody. Voodoo. 
It's real to those people. They practice those things. As a pastor, I am sometimes asked, can a Christian be demon-possessed? In a word, no. Right down, I said no. But we can be oppressed by demons, and there is a big difference. Satan, he knows his time is short. He's no longer content to be behind the scenes. We can honestly say Satan is coming out of the closet with all his sinful activities. Hollywood loves to produce movies about dark paranormal events and those that are involved in them, and they glorify those people. There's movies made of angels that have, oh, sinful, fleshly habits, and they say, uh, he's just a misguided angel or whatever. We have cute little girls as good witches on TV programs. And we have books that are openly glamorizing witchcraft. Can you say Harry Potter? There's demonic creatures that are portrayed on TV and they have these superpowers. There is some power in witchcraft and black magic and all that. But as Christian parents, we are to guide, we are to lead our children into Christ-like behavior, into Christ-like thinking. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. God in his love towards mankind puts a limit on Satan's powers. For a person to become demon-possessed, there must be an invitation by that person for the demons to come in and overtake them or dwell in them. There must be that same invitation as when you become a Christian. How did you become a Christian? You invited Christ into your life and he came in. Satan does not have the right just to knock you down and possess you. God doesn't allow that. We're created with what we call a free will. At least a limited free will. Meaning we are allowed to choose who we will serve. We are allowed to choose who we align ourselves with. So let me get you to turn to Luke 11... And we'll look at what Jesus had to say and do about demons. Luke eleven fourteen through 23. Verse 14, Luke 11. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was, when the demon had gone out, that the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, 
Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast out? Cast them out. Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own place, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Notice this demon man, demon-possessed man, the demon had power to keep him from speaking, to keep him silent. This man could not speak. This past week, I visited a man in the hospital. His relatives called me from one of them far-off states <laughs> and asked if I would go visit him, and I said I would. And they wanted me to go and pray for him. And the guy told me on the phone, now he's probably won't know you're there, for he's in a coma. So I go up to the room, and I'm surprised. I go into the room, and I start talking to him, telling him who I am. And he opens his eyes. Yo-oh. <laughs> what happened to the coma? <laughs> and so I'm a little surprised. Uh, that he opened his eyes, but there was absolutely no response from him. You know, we, we say things like, the lights were on, but nobody was home. And here was this man laying there, looking at me, but there was nothing going on for us, me communicating with him. So I prayed with him, and... I said, well, Lord, that was strange. <laughs> and this morning, I kind of put it together. God has a way of making his word real. Many times I have to live out my sermons before I preach them. <laughs> and he took me to a guy that couldn't speak. I still prayed for him. And that's the Lord to... If he wasn't saved, I asked the Lord to save him, do what was necessary, you know, to get him out of that bed and do a good work. But Jesus, he has cast out demons, and this man spoke, and the multitude marvels. But the religious leaders, they're jealous of Jesus, of course, and they accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. And Beelzebub is simply the ruler of demons. And then Jesus gives a great teaching on kingdoms. He gives a teaching on his kingdom and on Satan's kingdom. And we have some in this multitude that Jesus is talking to that they've just seen a miracle. They have seen a man who could not speak who now speaks to them. 
So what did they ask Jesus for? Show us a sign. <laughs> what did I just do? <laughs> you know, Show us a sign from heaven. What did they want Jesus to do? Perhaps call down fire from heaven? Well, James and John did that. They, they wanted to do that in a Samaritan village. When Jesus was rejected by the Samaritans, you remember James and John said, Do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them, Jesus, just like Elijah did? And Jesus, of course, wouldn't do that. Jesus never put his powers on a public display as a spectacle. Never did we see Jesus do that. But in verses 17 and 18, Jesus tells the religious leaders, Satan, he's not stupid, and he's not so stupid as to be divided against his own kingdom. He will not be divided against himself. Satan and his causes are united. And if for no other reason, it's where his kingdom will stand. And these religious leaders, Jesus has a question for them. He says, if my power to cast out demons comes from Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, then by whom do your sons cast out demons? Okay, you say I'm a Beelzebub, how about your own sons? Therefore, your evil sons, your fellow hypocrites, they will be your judges. You religious leaders, you will be judged. And you're going to be judged by your sons, the product of your own selfish evil lives pretty severe verse 20 Jesus says now consider this if I cast out demons with the finger of God surely the kingdom of God has come upon you notice the wording there it's critical Jesus cast out demons not by the hand of God but by the finger of God. The finger of God stronger than the entire kingdom of Satan. Let me take you to an example. When Jesus cast out the legion of demons from the demoniac in the Gadarene, the demons, over 5,000 of them, what did they do? They begged Jesus, do not cast us into the abyss. Let us go into those pigs that are over there. And Jesus allows it. He allows it. And of course the pigs then rush down the hillside and drown themselves in the sea. But the finger of God was mightier than a legion of demons. That's over 5,000. Jesus then uses the example of a strong armed guard watching over his goods until one stronger than he comes along, takes away his armor, and divides his spoils. Jesus is telling the religious leader, he's telling this multitude, 
He's wanting his disciples to hear this too. I am the stronger kingdom. And we're glad of that. There is power in witchcraft. They have a little power. They have a little authority. But the finger of God is mightier than the entire demonic kingdom. And I take comfort in that. So what do we learn from that? Well, I've heard people in their conversation almost put Satan and God on the same level. Not for a moment. Satan is a created being. God is the creator. And they're not equal. Not for a moment. And in our passage we read earlier, For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So you don't ever have to worry about a demon overtaking you, a demon possessing you. If you're a believer, you have God. And He's not going to allow Satan to do that to you. I'm not saying that you won't have oppression, you won't have trials, you won't have difficulties. They come upon all of us. But you will never be in danger of being possessed as a Christian Period. It's that simple. And I'm grateful for that. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, we thank you that your kingdom is much mightier than the kingdom of Satan. In fact, Lord, we, we read where you use Satan for your own purposes. You require him to do things that glorifies yourself, Lord. And Lord, we want to be used for your good and for your kingdom also. We want to be about you in your kingdom, Lord. We want to be about the greater kingdom. So help us, Lord. Help us to take comfort in the strength and the power of you, Lord. Help us to understand that we, we never are in danger of Satan doing anything to us that you don't allow. Not saying we'll always have everything so wonderful, Lord, but you protect us. You watch over us. You are the good shepherd, and we thank you for that. So, Lord, for any that need comforting, for any that need uh, you just to come alongside of them by your spirit and assure them of your greatness. I pray you would do that, Lord. Just let them know how much you love us. Let us all know how much you love us, Lord, and how you're so willing to protect us. So we thank you for that, Lord. Be with us. Take care of us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.